Welcome to episode 32 of the Camera Shake podcast, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything that's got anything to do with photography, videography, making photos, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. Uh, please welcome Dave Williams on the show hey. today. <laughs> Hi, guys. Dave, <laughs> Dave is a travel photographer, uh, author, writer, speaker. Um, I don't even know where to start. You, you, doing, you seem to be doing so many different things, man. Yeah, that, um, when people say, what do you do? It's it's really hard to answer. <laughs> so I, I I go around the world, I take photos. I learn from those photos. I share my experiences. And I do that in the form of blogs for very various companies and people. Um, regularly, I write every Tuesday, Travel Tuesday with Dave on scottkelby.com. I guest blog with loads of companies, Black Rapid, Lytra, Platypod, um wandered uh I've, I've been in the triumph blog um i've been on lonely planet taking over their thing um so that that's that uh, a lot of educational stuff hence the blogging it's all about sharing experiences um i've got the second version of my book about the northern lights out the complete aurora guide for travelers and photographers so there's that side of things i also teach in person whenever the opportunity pops up um with covid at the moment teaching in person isn't really a thing but that's gone online so what i would have been doing this year in vegas has gone online and postponed until january so there's a the travel photographers conference on kelby1live.com uh you see let you see why I, I, I struggle trying to explain what i do because <laughs> it's a busy it's, year man i do i do lots of different things um that all center around education and inspiration in travel photography that's a pretty good summary, actually. I might I'll remember that for next time. This is why this is why I, I think it's really. Uh, I was really looking forward to talking to you because obviously, you know, you're a travel photographer, so so you know by default your thing is traveling, and traveling yeah. right now is virtually impossible. So how yep. do you like? How many flights have you had canceled? Um, off the top of my head, somewhere around twelve, um, and that that's cancelled rather than things that I just haven't booked that I should have booked or was going to book. Um, most recently was on what day are we on today? It was three days ago. So on Friday, I had an email from Scandinavian air services saying your flight is cancelled. Great. Thanks. That was the third booking for the same trip, the same plan. So I'm now on the fourth version of that trip, which hopefully will be on Friday. So this Friday, Going to Norway, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, it, it's crazy. The whole the market's gone insane, and I don't know where we are with airlines and government bailouts and things like that. But every every level of the travel industry, which is something I naturally um, sort of by default promote, is upside down. Airbnbs all over the place. People that rely on their second home or whatever for an income are, are losing it the amount that I've had rejected on Airbnb because of quarantine issues and things like that is insane as well. So, yeah, I mean, this, this virus, this pandemic is turning the world upside down. And obviously there are much bigger issues than just travel, but this, this industry is going to take a lot to recover. We'll see what happens um, with this vaccine, shall we? I mean, I think, you know, especially when, you know, when traveling is such an integral part to what you do, um, yeah. You know, it has much more of an effect 
I think on on you than than it may if on on somebody who's you know who can quite happily work from home and you know and and well, isn't necessarily is, that affected. There is that, yeah. So obviously, working from home is is the the thing that happens after the traveling. Or I need the content in the first place, and then when I've when I've got the content, I am working from home the whole time because I'm editing the photos, writing things, teaching the classes, whatever it may be. But as you said at the start, traveling is the um, the root of all this. But if you go personally for me underneath that, I travel because traveling makes me happy. And I've, and I've found a way to make that make an income for me. Traveling is, if I, if I wasn't making an income from it, I'd be doing it just far less frequently. So yeah, it's, um, it's having a toll in, in many different ways, economically, psychologically. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's no answer. There's no, um, there's no sort of point to it, is there, to, to the comments that come out of it, because nobody knows the answers, not yet anyway. Yeah, it's, it's having a massive effect. We, we did an episode recently with um, a few previous guests, and one of the topics that came in, and it's like uh, advice and sort of, um, you know, talking about how to get through the current lockdown. And mm. one of the topics that came up over and over again was mental health. And, you know, we all shared some experiences around how that's affected us. And, um, you know, obviously knowing that you were coming on today and that you are a travel, you know, you know, a big part of what you do is a travel, is travel photography. That's the type of photography that you have to have a passion for and love doing before anything else. Yeah. And so one of the things I did definitely wanted to ask you today was how has this really affected you, your, your mental health and, you know, you know, psychology, as you, you said a second ago, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that I'm quite keen on because I know how it's affected me and yeah. I'm really interested to hear other people's take on it and how they, they've got themselves through it. Um, firstly, it's interesting and good that we're able to talk about these things because a few years ago we wouldn't have been having this conversation. So, so that's cool. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I just keep rolling my eyes at things, <laughs> sighing, <laughs> searching websites, looking for things, looking for opportunities and not finding them where before they were so plentiful, like um, just cheap flights. I rely so heavily on cheap flights um, to get maximum profit from images and, and various other things. And these cheap flights are just not available anymore. And you see the likes of um, Wizz Air, Ryanair, EasyJet having Black Friday sales right now, and you click on it, and it and there aren't actually any reductions. They're way more expensive than they were before, and there are far fewer of them. And all this and, and everything else adds up and takes a massive toll. And when you when you go beyond that to paying your bills and making your living, that's that's where the the problem comes and and. Uh, Fortunately for what I do, the way I do it, I don't have to keep traveling. I travel because I, I like traveling and I want to, and it gives me new content, but I can recycle old things and I can pick up lessons from things that I've done before. So it's, it's lack of, um, it's lack of the things that I want to do rather than lack of the things that I have to do. But those things that I want to do are things that I have to do for my mental health. I love to travel. It came about, I don't know, 2008, 2009, massive event in my life that changed things for me. And I realized that I hadn't really seen the world. And I was a big fan of National Geographic and looking at 
all these books of these cool places and there was this um there was somewhere in particular that went to the top of my list that i still haven't seen which is fly geezer which is uh i think it's in nevada i'm pretty sure it's in nevada in the middle of nowhere it's about an eight hour drive from civilization and it's an artificial uh, geezer that spurts hot water that's it's the result of some plumbing accident. It's nothing natural with it at all, but it's got this buildup of some silica or something that makes it look cool. And there's all this color to it. That's the reason I wanted to start traveling. Um, and it just turned into list after list of things I wanted to see, things I wanted to do, which then along with my photography hobby turned into a way to make money. Um, tried various routes, including wedding photography, headshots, corporate stuff, all this stuff that you go through that every photographer pretty much goes through to figure out what their niche is. And that's when I ended up on travel photography and learned how to make a, a living from it. Um, and that, that living fortunately is still there for me. Not being able to travel is a burden because of cancellations and things like that. And every now and then insurance says, no, you're not covered, but it's, it's that taking a toll on on my mindset and on my outlook on life. And I'm, at the moment, I, like last night, for example, there was a massive solar storm. The skies were clear across the Arctic. The Northern Lights were incredible. The people that live there have been making me so jealous on Facebook, posting their pictures of the Northern Lights last night. And these are the things for me that, um, that are messing me up. I, I should be there. I want to be there. I want to create content. I want to, show as, as much as I can every time I go there I learn something new about how to take certain photos and do certain things and that's what's putting the pressure on me personally but other people obviously there's so much more going on like not being able to pay the bills or losing friends and family it's really extreme so my situation's okay it's just annoying that's that's the answer to that question that was about five minutes ago. That <laughs> <laughs> always goes on this podcast. You know? <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know the. Uh, I think you know travel photography is, is one is one of the things. I think that a lot of a lot of um, sort of aspiring photographers really just dream of you know being able to travel the world and and of course you know yeah. with Instagram you see a lot of that and whether sometimes it's real sometimes it's not whatever but you know it always gives the impression as if. Um, you know, it's always wonderful and great and awesome anywhere else, but, but where, where you are at the moment, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, and the thing is, I, I tell you what, I've, I've read something. One thing that really made me thought, like, it made me think like, I really wanted to um, talk to you on the podcast was because I read one of your blogs and, um, that was really something, um, that I found personally very inspiring because, um, it was, it was a blog about, I can't remember the exact titles. It was something like, um, you don't have to like travel far from home in order to be a travel photographer or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, because so the travel photography is, is a pretty unique genre of photography because if you look at any other genre of photography, it's, it's got a specific thing, a specific element to it. So, um, headshots, you're taking a picture of this. Weddings, you're taking a picture of two people getting married. Uh, cars, you're taking photos of cars, etc., etc., etc. Travel, um, it, it, it's all of those things. You could be taking headshots, or you could be taking portraits of some style, or landscapes, or macro, or food, or cars. This, all these things 
that are travel photography. So travel photography is 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 completely different to any other genre or style of photography in that what you want to do is create a result, achieve a result. Um, and that result is making people want to be there. So when you shoot travel, the subject could be anything. Your specialty doesn't isn't travel photography per se, but the the result of making the person looking at the picture want to be there is what travel photography is. So it's the pictures in the magazines and on Instagram and uh, and brochures. These are travel photos because they're photos that make people want to be at that place, that buy that package tour or that hotel or whatever it may be. And that's where travel photography differs from every other style of photography. And I've lost track of what the question was again. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so travel photography is a unique thing. So you could be a travel photographer who, who is quite broad in, in what they do. My My travel photos tend to be landscapes, cityscapes, or animals. Um, if you look through my social media, you'll see a lot of big skies, mountains, you know, things like that. But that I, I struggle to call myself a landscape photographer because I'm not using the techniques that landscape photographers use. I, I sometimes use shortcuts or different techniques or whatever it may be. I'm not, I'm not doing the things that someone that would call themselves a landscape photographer would do to get the picture of the mountain. I'm just trying to show the mountain in the best light that makes somebody want to be on that mountain or stood next to it or whatever it may be. So yeah, travel photography is weird in that sense. Yeah. I think what, what struck anyway. me about this, uh, this blog that you wrote was that, um, you know, I've been uh, like for the longest time, I, you know, I used, in 2019, I used to say like 2020 is going to be the year where I, you know, because our plan, uh, my wife and I were going to go to Canada and see family and uh, yeah. I was going to take that time to, to improve my like landscape and travel photography, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, yeah. because it's not something that I, that I feel I'm, I'm very knowledgeable of, or, you know, I haven't really practiced it actually very much. Okay. So, um, but that, have a that's great... good because when you go outside of your comfort zone, that's where you learn things that you can take back into your genre. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> so you're saying... that is exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. that's, that's, but that's exactly how I think it's exactly how I think, you know, I like to do things that I don't, yeah. well, because you can only learn things that you don't know already. So it's, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, and they translate and you can take the, take the positives back with you into what you do. Exactly. And then I discovered Photoshop Sky Replacement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got mixed feelings about it. <laughs> Doesn't everyone? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's fair to say that not all of my skies are the sky from the place sure. at the time. But it's not many that I switch out. Um, it's, it's, it's an art, isn't it? We're not... <laughs> We're not we're not taking photos for textbooks, so it doesn't. It's not necessarily real, but it's not fake either. Anyway, fine line. I did a, I, I did a, I did a gig as a real estate photographer once. I guarantee you, none of my guys were real. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, no, but but actually, in all seriousness, um, so you know, so like I spent all all of twenty nineteen really like saying, you know, this is what I was going to do in twenty twenty, and this is going to be my big plan. Mm. Uh, for the summer of 2020 and of course then COVID happened and and none yeah. of my travel plans uh, came came through and um and actually you know that was a, if that's one big thing that's really kind of pulled me down uh in 2020 was actually the fact that we couldn't go we couldn't go to see family is one thing uh, but also you know i just felt like um i sort of missed out on 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 something 
uh, for me from a, from a photographic point of view. Um, yeah. And then I read your I read your blog, and I kind of thought, you know what? I'm such an idiot. I should have thought about this myself. Really, you know. Of course, I don't have to go far. Like, you know. In fact, Nick and me were talking about this uh, this morning when we were on the way to a shoot, and uh, you know, and it's like the sun was coming. I was very early. The sun was coming up. You know, everything was like frosted over. You know, and the countryside looked amazing. And I'm like. I should be down there. I should be in this field, to, you know, <laughs> photographing these awesome trees that are completely encrusted in frost. Man, they look awesome. You know, yeah. The sun, yeah. This is the thing. It's like it hadn't really, um, weirdly, hadn't occurred to me that actually, you know, I don't have to be in Nova Scotia to practice my like landscape photography. I really don't have to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, or your or your travel photography. That's the thing. That's where it sort of. Uh... I don't know, intertwines with landscape photography is that you don't have to travel for it to be travel photography because it's not you that's doing the traveling and the travel photography every time. It's the person looking at the picture. So if the person looking at the picture of the, the field at the back of your house in the frosty morning with the mist rolling in off the river or whatever it may be, that person looking at the photo, if they want to be there in the photo, you've succeeded as a travel photographer. You haven't traveled. But you've done the job. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else would have had can to it, travel there to take that photo, right? If they were going to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that would have been that would have been right. But Canada would have been cool. Yeah. Oh, well. oh <laughs> god! I'm not denying it, man. I'm not denying it. It would have been cool. Yeah. I was I was also supposed to be in Canada this year. Um, in I think it was early November last year. I was in. Um, in the Rockies and I wanted to go back again this year but a week or two earlier in the season to get a slightly different conditions of frozen lakes um, specifically is it it's Lake Abraham uh, just off the Icefields Parkway outside of Lake Louise we get the methane bubbles in the lakes last year I was there just at the right time for that one but there were all the other lakes in the area specifically lake louise itself which would have been awesome without the covering of snow so yeah i was i was also supposed to be in canada and i wasn't in canada man i've, I've learned interesting i got chased off that lake by a wolf that's another story <laughs> i've learned one very very important story at lake uh, i learned one very important thing about photography um, at lake louise actually and um <laughs> it was like it was my wife and i we were driving up um, from Canmore, like near Ban near Banff, we're driving up to uh, to Lake Louise, and um, and I, like my mission was to take some really awesome pictures, you know, of Lake Louise, and of course, you know, you know this one this one photo that everybody takes because it's on every postcard, it, yeah. you know the one it's the Lake one Louise. with the, the hut and the on the side. Yeah, and the V-shaped mountains. Yeah, exactly that one. Yep. Um, and, uh, and and for some reason in my head, it was like, all right, I was gonna I was gonna take that that photo, and then um, we're driving up, and it's you know, I can't remember exactly how long it took, it took an hour maybe, hour and a half, something like that. Got up there, and we're so hungry that I just went, all right, click, burger, go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, when I came back home, I'm like, what an idiot. I've traveled yep. all the way to Lake Louise. Pardon my French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just gonna... no, I'll bleep it out. <laughs> so, Never mind. I traveled all the way to Lake Louise, um, only to take like you know a half-ass um, photo um, of or you know the same photo that everybody else takes. And yet, yeah. you know, had I just turned to the left, there was a there was a um, a canoe hut, right? There's a little boat boat hut. Um, 
where, you know, you could have gotten some awesome photos. I mean, you know, changed the perspective, you know, like made the effort to, you know, to, uh, to, to create a photo that, uh, from, from a perspective that, that really nobody else creates at that point. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I had the opportunity and I missed it. And that's taught me a really, uh, really important lesson. Um, and I've, I've realized then that actually, you know, in order to create outstanding photography, you have to have eaten before you've gone. There, yes. Or? That's one thing. Definitely yeah. don't be hungry, but, <laughs> but also, you know, you have to put in the effort and, um, and grind it out. And so, you know, that was a very, very valuable lesson. Now, I remember actually I was, I was, I was doing a talk, um, on, on this particular trip, uh, cause we traveled, uh, we went to see, uh, relatives, um, in, uh, in Alberta and we traveled, um, we drove from Seattle to San Francisco, but via Idaho, and like we just took some uh, some de- some detours. And I, I, I had to talk about this, and um, and it, it was really just for me. This this really was uh, actually an educational experience because, uh, like I said, you know, it just taught me a lot. And when I you know when I look at at your photos uh, on your social media, on your website, or on, or on your blogs, it's just you know I find them to be so outstanding. You know, um, in terms of like, I don't know, it's just, there's just something um, so like masterful about, about them because, you know, you can see oh, landscape, you. landscape photography just about anywhere. Um, but it's, um, you know, there's just something really, really special about your photography for sure, man. Does it make you want to be there? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, I, I actually, I was, because um, you have two. Uh, Instagram uh, Instagram accounts. One is like your main yeah. account, and you have a behind the scenes yeah. account. Um, and my wife and I were looking at some of your photos, um, and uh, I think we're looking at some of your some behind the scenes kind of photos um, from your last trip to Alberta. And my wife's born born and bred in Alberta too, and uh, she's. It was just like one of these things, you know. We're just looking at your photos and thinking, "Oh man, <laughs> we so want to be there." Unbelievable, you know. Um, so yeah, it was a, that's a very special moment, you know? Yeah. The face, the Facebook memory of that trip last year popped up the other day and I was quite upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <it was. laughs> right. Never mind. Exactly. Get the tissue. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? All, all of this, but, uh, having these goals and having ambitions like that of going to these sorts of places is, is the thing that keeps us going and motivates us and having, as I said, the ambitions and therefore setting the targets is what makes us successful. And I've learned off the back of that, that you shouldn't have a big goal and that's the end of it. You should have all these little goals all the way to the big goals. So if you succeed, you get more successes on the way. If you fail, you only fall a short distance until you get to that big goal and by that time you've you've made more targets and that's how you get through this and you get through the successes so rather than rather than having the big trip of canada then there could be the warm-up trips and the the practices and and you know practice getting up at 4am to get a good sunrise for example or whatever it may be (laughs) yeah you can break up your big goals into little goals and, and get more success along the way and it makes you feel good hitting these goals and that makes you work harder to get to the next one so, so yeah, you know back cool. back when i used to shoot concerts 
um, advancing stuff. You know, I used to say, um, you know, I, I have no problem staying up till 4 a.m. in the morning to shoot a band, but I really have a hard time getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning to sit in a field to wait for the sun to go to shoot a tree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was yeah. a that was a limiting factor for me at the time. It's you know, different now. We said that this morning about that frosty field, didn't we? Yeah. It was. It was like, well, we got up at 6 a.m. and yeah. you know, well, would you? Would you was that you want to shoot that field? Did you? When did you want to get up? Four, <laughs> four a.m. Suddenly doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? Yeah, no, right. I, I no, no longer want the frosty field. Oh. <laughs> but the, the conditions at sunrise are so much better than they are at sunset. So you should be setting that four a.m. alarm. And the light's better then. And the best thing about it is there's far fewer people because, like you, everyone can stay up late. So everyone's there for sunset. But it's quite often the case that there's nobody there for sunrise. You've got the whole place to yourself with the best light. Everything's peaceful and calm. And that's one of those little goals that you've ticked off, that you've done that and you're ready for the rest of the day. So when, when, you, first, um, when you first started out in photography, um, was, uh, was travel photography, was that one of your sort of, uh, immediate goals from the beginning or did you kind of fall into that over time? I... I, I knew I wanted to take those kinds of photos. I didn't realize that I would be able to. I thought that was going to be the hobby um, side of it. And I was looking at various other things, as I said earlier, like headshots and corporate events, weddings, um, all these all these little things that you think of as a photographer, like a conveyor belt that you just do one after the other after the other, and that's how you make money. That's where it started, and that's where I'd learned that actually I wasn't really enjoying that as much as I thought I was. My feet hurt. It wasn't very creative. And actually I could do the, the type of photography that I wanted to do because I'd worked uh, through the hobby side of things. I'd worked out how to do the creative side of it and I needed to just work on the business side of it. And the business side of it was just constantly forming connections and working hard improving myself and reaching out time and time again. I mean, the amount of rejection I've had is insane, but it's, it's amongst those rejections that I've had the successes. It's, um, it's a thing you have to be prepared for. And if you, if you want to be a travel photographer or whatever you want to do, keep working at it because there is a way to do it. And as long as your skill um, allows you to do it, then, then you can, but yeah. Those re rejections are insane. <laughs> there was so many. <laughs> if I'd given up after a couple of rejections, I wouldn't have been anywhere near this. So yeah, you just you, you keep working and keep working at it. And um and it's it's also through having done the weddings and the headshots and everything else that I worked out what I really wanted to do. But I also um, picked up things in those uh, fields, those genres. That I was able to carry over, like I was saying to you just now. So yeah, it's um, I don't regret having done it, and but I'm also happy that I don't do it now. <laughs> I think rejection is a really important point, and I, I, you don't hear people talk about it all that much. Yeah. How yeah. um, you know, cause hopefully amongst our you know our, our viewers and listeners that we've got some people who are you know perhaps starting out in their career or starting to push themselves mm -hmm. a bit harder maybe you want to turn um you know at least semi pro or pro but how do you go about dealing with those first few kind of or first lot so to speak lot of rejections how did you keep going 
some of them you know you're going to get a rejection but you have to do it anyway and that's how you get your sort of name out there and people recognize you and work out who you are because they keep if you keep landing in their inbox not in a harassing kind of way but if you, if you keep landing in their inbox with ideas genuine ideas um that's how they learn and, and eventually you can work out well that won't work but how about if you put this spin on it or if they say no you then you, you can ask them can you tell me why not and uh, if they don't tell you why not it doesn't really matter but if they do then it's something you can push forwards with um you should definitely not let it get to you um really really not let it get to you because as with everything there are going to be a lot of i say everything as with most things there are going to be a lot of failures and a lot of rejection um writing is another big one the same thing goes there the amount of people i've reached out to with ideas for articles or even book ideas and things like that 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 have rejected me it's not worth worrying about the rejection but looking at what you can improve on or what works um great example being rocky nook at the moment i'm talking with rocky nook about ideas and we had an idea um about 18 months ago that was had the green light but then it stopped the the publishing team changed and the whole idea ground to a halt but it's keeping um it's keeping that relationship and working on these things rather than dwelling on the rejection or in this case the uh as you wouldn't even call it like some kind of post rejection it was green light and then it wasn't if you let that get to you you're not going to get anywhere you just need to keep pushing and keep striving and pushing for showing your worth really until you get lucky and this is the thing it's it's until you get your lucky break everyone keeps talking about the lucky break um in photography and writing and loads of other aspects of life but luck is um this is something a good friend of mine peter treadway um claims to have come up with this and i'm pretty sure it was me but in either case i'm going to give him credit peter treadway said to me um you uh the harder i work the luckier i get so luck isn't about luck it's not about chance <clears throat> the, the more effort you put in and the harder you the harder you work to prove yourself the more chance you have of success so the harder you work the luckier you are it's nothing actually to do with luck it's to do with hard work so these rejections that you get time after time they don't really matter is what you'll take from that rejection and take forward what what could work and keep at it um yeah yeah don't bother with letting rejection get you down you make your sometimes own luck. you won't even sometimes you don't even get rejected sometimes you just get ignored well, <laughs> that's, that's actually you know that that's probably a lot worse in many ways it's a lot worse but but i also think you know it's um it's, it's like you said you know the more often without being annoying or anything but you know the more the more often you land yeah. in somebody's um yeah. inbox you know the the more chances you have of um yeah they'll see your name popping up there's um instagrams a lot like that i've had some people reach out to me from instagram just by tagging them a few times you get on their radar and they notice you they see your name pop up and then they reach out to you rather than reaching out to them so yeah it's it's getting yourself known getting your face out there building the connections which is uh photography is a very social thing but it's very strange socially because for some reason we all compete with each other 
And I don't like that at all. I don't like the idea of photographers competing because we're not, we're not competing with each other. Let's take the example of wedding photographers. Um, say, so you and I, it turns out, are in the next town, right? I had no idea, but you're over there in the next town to me. So I'm a wedding photographer in this town, and you're a wedding photographer in that town. And it's quite often the case that people don't want to share um, how to get a certain picture, how to get a certain look, because of fear of their competitors getting their business. Well, that's not really the case, because if someone's getting married in this town, they're probably going to choose me. If someone's getting married in that town, they're probably going to choose you. <laughs> yeah. So there isn't really any there isn't really any direct co competition like there is in many other industries and there's definitely not any in travel photography i can tell you that you either stand out to the person that wants to buy the picture or you don't there's there's no point going head to head with somebody because it's all anonymous nobody knows one person from the next the people that do get the business are the ones that, that stood out in the first place because of their own passion their own skill their own drive whatever it may be their qualities so there isn't really, like there is in other cases, proper um, competition. So people should learn from one another. So yeah, there's that. And even if you do show someone precisely how you took a, you take a particular photo, they're never going to yep. execute it in the same way. It's okay. exactly, exactly. Like, like take Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, we were talking about him earlier today. Mm. You can say, yep, yeah, he he plays in this style in this way. He uses this guitar and yeah. that. Um, give it to, give it to. I'm a bass player. I don't play guitar, yeah. guitar. But give it to me. I'm not going to play like Eddie Van Halen through that gear. Yeah. Yeah. It's not never going to happen. That's exactly it. That's it. Even if so, if you were a guitar player and Eddie Van Halen stood in front of you and said, "This you do this with this hand, you do this with this hand," you're still going to put your own spin on it. Yep. And you're you're going to have different conditions and. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, ultimately, I think, and, and I say this from being a guitar player, um, you know, it's, you don't, when you're first learn, you know, when you're first starting out and you're learning, of course, you know, it, you think like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could play like Eddie Van Halen, for example. But once you've been at it for a decade or two, you want to be sounding like you. You don't want to be sounding like Eddie Van Halen. You want to be sounding like you know, Kirsten, or you want to be sounding like Nick, or you want, you, know, you want to be sounding like, like Dave Williams. You don't want to be sounding like somebody else. And so, you know, and this is the thing, I think in, in any creative art, you know, um, you know, creative art um, grows and, and develops, you know, through copying other people, learn, not necessarily copying, but learning from, from others who came before in a way, you know, and that's, that's true in music. You know, it's just, it's, it's just as true in, uh, in photography. I mean, it's not like, you know, and that's, that's why it's a, a big social thing and photography should be a social thing. As I was saying, as we got onto that, it, you should have the social element to it because that's how you learn. And it's weird that there's this, um, tainted element of people thinking others are stealing their ideas, but they're not, they're really not. It's everyone's picking up their own things. There's one thing you say, which actually, again, is something that, that stood out to me is uh, where you say, like, lend me your eyes and I'll show you what I see. Um, and that's, that exactly goes into that direction. It's, you know, it's, it's really all about openness. And Yeah. So um, one person that hates that quote is um, the man himself, Scott Kelby, because he, he just has visions of me taking people's eyes out of their heads. Ah. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the... Um, the whole idea of that is that um, kind of like we were saying with sky replacement just now, um, 
it's it's a true representation but it's the way i saw it it's not fake it's, it's not necessarily real either it's the way i saw it so when i was stood in front of a particular mountain or lake or whatever it is and i took the photo i'm showing it to you in the way that i saw it the way that i want to portray it which isn't the way it's going to end up in a textbook it's the way it's going to end up artistically so yeah it's it's um let me your eyes and I'll show you what I see is, is me saying, this is what I see in this subject. Um, this is, this is big um, divide between, uh, between what's it called? I think natural history photography or something like that, where everything, like nothing can be changed. Everything has to be exactly as it was. Uh, no photoshopping yeah. allowed and everything. Um and I, I find that this is it's a big discussion um, that I come across a lot in like the, you know, the world of like, um, you know, camera clubs, for example, and competitive, uh, you know, f like uh, photography competitions and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I know, I mean, I know, I know there are a lot of uh, landscape um, photography competitions, like national competitions, international uh, competitions. Do you take part in any of those or is that not something you're necessarily interested in that much? Um, I end up. I've judged a few smaller competitions um, and I haven't really entered any since a couple of years ago. Um, I came runner up judging rounds, not final rounds of uh, the natural history museum wildlife photographer of the year with a picture of a bug on a, on a, on a leaf. It was a cool picture. Um, and I got, I was so excited in the, at the time, I was in Australia, <laughs> I was in Sydney in the middle of the night, having just got there from uh, Melbourne or Perth, one or the other. And uh, we were there to shoot a wedding and I got this email from them saying I was through to the final round of judging and blah, blah, blah. It was awesome. Since then, I haven't really entered any. I probably should, but I haven't. I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's taking photos, photos that pay bills. I need to... I need to pick up some awards. <laughs> so, I mean, the other thing that's really interesting um, with you in particular is that, you know, you express yourself in, in your photography, but also, of course, in your writing. So how's, how did you, how, how does the writing come into that? Is that something you've always had an interest in just generally? Or? Um, when, uh, when I sort of started out with, experimenting with which kind of photography I liked I knew that I was I wanted to share what I'd done so it wasn't just the picture it was the story behind the picture and so I made a website which was hybriddave.com which no longer exists um hybrid Dave. Just... it's the future man <laughs> I oh, the future. oh Gary's gonna love it <laughs> Um, so, so Peter, my friend that I mentioned before, he he and I were hybrid photography, as um, which um was the combination of two good things to make something even better. Cool. Um, so yeah, um, I I was writing on my personal blog a lot, like almost daily, um, just sharing experiences and ideas, and it just took off from there. I have no sort of writer training or anything. I people quite often say that I write like conversationally. So it's easy to read. It's quite informative most of the time when I'm not just ranting about something. So it's just something that's picked up. And uh, when I started doing it for other people, 
um, that's when I realized, well, there's, there's some money in this too, and I quite enjoy it. So I've, um, since that blog, um, I've completely overhauled my website. And so at the moment, my blog is quite bare, but I'm going to be working on some stuff. And the next thing I'm going to be writing on my blog is going to be about Canada, actually. And it's a, it's a sort of, it's a quite a niche topic. It's a love it or hate it topic. It's um, the time I didn't see a Sasquatch. <laughs> so I was I was driving along. Um, if you come out of, so you've got the Icefields Parkway through Rocky Mountains. You go out to the east on David Thompson Highway and you get to Nordegg. And I was near there and I saw footprints in the snow that were one and a half times the size of my feet. Feet shaped, and there were definitely two of them, not four. And they were spaced about a two meter stride through the snow uphill. So that's the time I didn't see a Sasquatch. <laughs> There'll be more of that. That story will be expanded on quite heavily on my blog with pictures. But anyway, that's uh, that's the next thing. But yeah, no, the the, uh, the thing about writing is, see, that's that's why that's why I write because I can because I've got things to write about. I go off on a tangent, and it's usually engaging. Usually, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's a good combination to put words and thoughts to the pictures. And it's also good for other companies that want me to write on their blog because I can write about their products with stories, with experiences and push people to buy certain things marketing wise. Yeah. Well, see, I mean, the story behind, behind pictures is, is always, that's the thing that's always interested me um, because I'm, and I think Nick's, Nick's really the same, you know, we, um, it's, it's really the story the story behind the picture that that is that is the one of the most interesting things uh, whether it's how that picture was made uh, what the intention was um you know behind behind that picture um that really uh that that's kind of what carries all the like all the information really um yeah and there's there's quite often the um if we go back to failures there's quite often the stories of the failures that led up to getting the picture like how many attempts how many 4am alarms until you got the right light all these things that do lend themselves to becoming a story even even at the expense of myself i will quite happily write about screwing up falling over etc etc <laughs> for the sake of a story <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's like you know it's, it's very often i mean those those are trials and tribulations um that, that you go through in order to create anything and again you know it's we're talking about photography but the same thing could be true for like you know writing music for example or creating a painting or whatever it is you know um, or writing a play or something like that. It's, it's you know, uh, I think sometimes people have this this misconception that it's like, you know, you rock up, you point your camera at something, you click the shutter and there it is, and that is it. And, you know. Yeah. yeah. And that that's why people say, that's really good. What kind of camera did you use? Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. What filter was <laughs> Give that? Me your camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's I, I hate that. What kind of camera did you use? Oh, I saw a I saw a, a meme or something recently. It was a meme or a short post or something about asking a, a chef what kind of oven they used and things like that. It's comparable to that. Obviously, I'm I'm speaking to an audience that doesn't care because they know, but everyone else, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think you know. Uh, it's, it's actually uh, there was uh, we we talked to Daniel Akeley. He's a, he's a wedding uh, photographer, um, 
And uh, in fact, he shot my wedding. But his uh, his background is in uh, in rock music and uh, you know shooting bands and stuff. And um, he uh, and, and we were talking, and, and I just asked him like, you know, because I know he he still he shoots in a uh, it's a Nikon D750, so still DSLR. And I kind of just I just asked him like, oh, you know, have you ever thought about you know uh, going mirrorless or something? So something you kind of you, you're thinking about? And he goes like, no, I'm not. I don't I don't know why people ask me that because. It sounds like, like three years ago, it sounds like nobody was able to take a good photo. <laughs> no, when actually, these a lot of fine, you know? That's completely true. You know, the D750 is uh, a, a really good wedding camera. Can't believe I'm doing this myself now. It is, though. It's, a really good, it's got a really good sensor. So it's really good for low light. It's really good for shooting weddings. Exactly. And, and I shot on a D750 and a D810 until last year when i switched and upgraded to mirrorless with the nikon z6 we call it z6 but yeah yeah i mean but i'm like uh, so used to speaking in america yeah it's it's um you know the z6 <laughs> i've actually um I, i've been trying with that idea it's, and, and for no other reason because i shoot the 752 and it's um i, I love it mm-hmm. i love it i love it it's my favorite camera that i've ever owned mm-hmm. that and the x100f i think oh, or like yeah. a little fuji that i love yeah. as well but but um, it's I, it's great because I I got it initially to to shoot concerts, um, which it's been absolutely great. But I found it uh, it's just a fantastic all around camera, and in a, I've used it in the studio. I've used it for all sorts of different shenanigans. It's been great. Um, but it's you know the shutter count. It's kind of uh, you know it's getting to the point where it's like I'm thinking, oh man, you know it's going to be it's getting risky. If you know what I mean, I, yeah. I need yeah, to yeah. start thinking of something. You know, I was thinking of um, I was th- thinking about. I mean, everybody seems to be going to Sony or whatever, um, or Canon, but um, I have I have too much money invested in glass, man. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, that's yeah. I I I was looking at switching to Sony, but I have too much Nikon glass, and uh, which is why I went for the Nikon Z6. Um, interestingly, I regretted it initially because it was different. The electronic viewfinder screwed me up. Um, I was seeing different things through it to the results I was getting. So it, it's taken me quite a long time to come around to the idea that it was a good idea and it's the future. But initially I, I was, I was going to send it back. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, just as a, an interesting side note on mirrorless, it, it is definitely the way forwards, but it's, there's nothing wrong with what there was before. <laughs> exactly. Just out of interest, what what was what were you finding different um, in the results from your photos versus what you were seeing through the viewfinder or through the EVA? The the range, the dynamic range that I was seeing versus what was coming out in the photo were completely different. Really? So where I thought I was getting a lot of clipping, I wasn't. So it turned out it was a good thing, but it it's it just wasn't completely accurate. There's that very slight lag as well very slight but it's it's enough um however what i have discovered that i really love about it is turning off all the noise so i take a photo and it doesn't make a single sound nothing there's no mirror slap there's no shutter cut and there's nothing it's just completely silent which initially when i configured it that way um to begin with i thought it's not working. I'm not taking any photos. I'm not taking a bur- burst of 10 or 15. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, it makes you far more discreet. 
which is far less intrusive particularly when you're out in nature and you're taking photos with animals nearby or amongst the sound of silence with other people around the the sound of a mirror slap is quite loud when there's no other noise which when you do weddings as well if you put it that way when you're in a church or some other quiet place and you're taking i don't know a burst of photos trying to wait for that reaction wait for that smile or that look to happen you're the distraction in the room so when you when you shoot mirrorless you can remove all of that it will probably start to give us photographers a bit of a better name because <laughs> we're not in the way <laughs> I, had, I had exactly the same experience actually i bought, I bought a hybrid car not too long ago yeah. it's the same thing you know you, you press a button to turn a car and nothing happens it's like there's no noise yeah and you go it's not on <laughs> thing, is it on <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah yeah dangerous it's dangerous, but it's the future, man. It's yeah, it's the future. It's the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's an interesting step. Do you find um, are you are you using the adapter for the uh, for for the yep. the Nikon lenses? Yeah, I haven't noticed it um, give any negative issues. Hmm. But the, the the word "noticed" is quite key there. It might be. I'm not seeing it, but it might be. Um, it's it's just a it's a it's a it's just a hole, isn't it? It's just a hole with a so it's just putting a little more distance between the lens and the sensor. But the sensor and the lens themselves deal with that, and it, it's it's the link between the new body and the old lens. It's the new communication between the two, rather than having the uh, Z series of lenses. So I don't think they're a bad thing. They just they make it a little bit bigger. But it's it's the cost-effective way to keep all your expensive glass. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly why I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had? Have you heard of other issues? Do I need to know something? No, not at all. No, 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 not at all. Um, I've actually I've been looking at the the Z six Z six two um recently. Yeah. You know, um, it's. I mean, I you know. I sort of put this reality check on myself sometimes, you know, where I think like, okay, well, the Z6 II, man, it's got all these, you know, additional features and it's awesome. And then I'm like, but I don't need any of those. I actually don't need any of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything that you have now is fine. Yeah. It's something you want. And every now and then you need to do something you want. Yeah, exactly. The, um, the trade-in deal that Nikon has for the Z6 II and the Z7 II look pretty good, though. They're pretty tempting. Yeah. <laughs> You get quite a big discount and quite a bit of cash back. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> okay, so um, with your writing, I mean, you, you write um, a, n- a number of things, and I want to talk to you about two things. See, you, you're doing the Travel Tuesday uh, on scottcabley.com. Um, how did you yeah. get involved with that in the first place? Don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> it's it's one of these things, like I was saying, you need to build connections and build relationships. and it, it That's how it happened. But the actual how it happened, I don't really know. Um, so um, Pete and I met Scott for the first time in London five years ago, six years ago. Twenty, I think it might be 2014. I might be wrong. Um, but it was when he came over for his worldwide photo walk, he came to London. Um, we sent him an email and just said, look, hey, you're amazing. Um, if you want some company when you're in London, we'll take you for a burger because, you know, whatever it might be. It was an email along those lines, which turned into, yeah, cool, that'd be nice. Let's go for dinner. Oh, okay, cool. 
Um, when he came, we met up with him for the walk. We met him before, we met him after. And then the next, was that then or was that the other way around, actually? I might get, I might be getting this all muddled up, but he was also over for um, Shoot Like a Pro, which was his tour of photography convention of photography um, classes. And he did that in London as well. I think it was the walk first and then that the next year. Um, so we said, oh, we're the guys from the walk. Do you, when you're back over here, do you want lunch? Whatever it might be. And he said, yes. And it just built into a relationship. We just got on, um, had a laugh. He's got quite a British sense of humor with all the sarcasm and the taking the mickey out of each other and things like that. So it just, it was just the relationship. It just, it was communication that turned into something that stayed in touch that wasn't necessarily business minded, but turned out to be because uh, two, two and a half years ago, he just sent me a text saying, hey, I want you to write my blog every Tuesday. What do you think? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but that was off the back of writing. He was noticing my writing for other people. He was seeing what I was doing. Um, and I think I'd written an article for Photoshop User Magazine at that point as well, which is a, a publication that he owns. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a text, but it was off the back of building a relationship with somebody, which is why it's important that photography is social, as we were saying before. It's networking and getting to know people. Even if it doesn't turn into something, there's the chance that, like this, it has turned into something. And I, there's only one guest writer on his website, and it's me. So it obviously worked. <laughs> He's the world's biggest photography author. Or the world's biggest selling he's got the most books however you want to phrase that <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> and i'm i'm the guy that writes whatever's in my head every tuesday <laughs> on his blog in front of thousands of people so yeah just just keep building relationships work on work on networking and and pushing yourself and proving yourself be the guy that doesn't harass people but gets in their inbox hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great it's a great it's blog, a, though um as we said, there's. Uh, I was only. I was only. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. I was reading. Um, I was reading your blog about uh, the blue hour. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, again. You know, it's, um, I, I'm, I'm quite. Um, I'm quite obsessed. I think we're both quite obsessed with <laughs> light and lighting. Um, but uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that I really. Um, I'd never heard of, like, you know, a nautical blue hour, uh, not blue hour, a nautical um, twilight. 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 That's right. Yeah, stuff like that. It's super interesting, man. That was that was new on me too. Mm. So there are all these different things that have different effects and they all last different amounts of time and they're all governed or dictated by scientific rules. And so there's astrical, astronomical twilight, nautical twilight, civil twilight, and each one. So one you can see, one's just not, not got any sun. And then one you start to see um, stars and then the other one is dark. It, that's the difference. But if you didn't, not necessarily not you don't have to know all the technical bits about it but as long as you're aware that that's a thing then it becomes a consideration that changes your photography because instead of going well, the sun's gone i'm going to take a photo it must be blue hour well it's it's not necessarily blue or the same kind of blue or which way are you facing you know is there going to be some orange on the horizon because it's it's not nautical twilight yet it's still civil twilight 
the right way. Yeah, that's the right way. <laughs> so there's all these considerations that change your photography and change what you're shooting. And, and these things change based on your location and the time of the year. It's, it's not something you need to fully understand, but it's something that if you're aware of it, changes your decisions and changes what you're doing. And yeah. So it's cool that it worked. It got through to you. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, when you plan a trip, like let's say to Iceland or to like uh, Northern Sweden or Norway or, you know, a place like that, how well is that planned through? Like what I mean is, do you plan, do you plan like every, every trip? Do you plan timings? Do you, do you absolutely uh, plan it through? Or do you just kind of go like, oh, I'm just going to rock up and don't do that. <laughs> Happy go lucky. <laughs> See what happens. You don't do that. <laughs> if you do that, then so um, whilst it's true to say that a lot of the best photos that people take are the ones that they chance upon, you still need a plan. Um, mostly because you, everyone's got like the bucket list or the shot list, and it's important to have that because then you you definitely going to have a result when you come back. You know that you're going to get this waterfall or that building or whatever it may be which helps you with knowing where you're going to stay, where does your accommodation need to be, what car do you need, do you need a car, all these things, um, which all come into costings, and that's where the business side of the boring side comes into it. But, yeah, every, every trip has a plan, and sometimes they're very, very, very stringent, and sometimes they're fairly relaxed, but each one will have a plan. Every day from the moment I arrive has got, this is when I, this is when I get to the airport, this is when I get to the hotel, this is when I book in. I'm setting the alarm for this time the next day because, you know, that's when the sunrise is going to be. Or in order to get the sunrise at this location, which is 80 miles from where I'm staying, which is what, there's all these things that come into it because then I can come back with this set of shots, which might be for a client or for a post that I'm thinking of or an article that I'm thinking of. Or they may be for, you know, just to have in the bank because that's the kind of stock you were after for that. So yeah, there's always a plan. It's not always as rigid as, as at times as it is at others, but it is always there. You can't you can't afford it. It's not a it's not a photography work trip if there isn't a plan, is there? It, it's a holiday. It's a vacation. You just go in there and, and you get potluck and see what you get. Yeah. What what happens if the weather doesn't play well? I mean, because I guess you know that that could be a considerable oh. factor, isn't it? Yeah. So. Um, lots and lots of planning goes into that and alongside it backup plans so the, the cold weather photography is my specialty and it's incredibly unpredictable so whilst you could see a forecast with clear skies you might get there and it's raining sideways you know that's just the way it goes it's just the nature of, of the arctic and so there's always a backup plan uh, or a range of backup plans. So when I'm, let's take the Northern Lights because that's the thing I've got a book out and I want to promote it. But if we take the Northern Lights, you need a clear sky. You need solar activity, space activity. You need clear skies and you need darkness. And if you don't have that combination, you're not going to get a photo of the Northern Lights. So it's heavily centered around finding clear skies that's the thing you've got the most control over is is the clear skies um so if you find a, a particular area where the forecast says it's clear that's where you're going to go right but the backup plan needs to be well if if it turns out it's not or the forecast changes what are my options am i 
of if I've got C to the north, then I've got three directions I can go, and which one's going to give me the most chance? There's so many things, and with each type of shoot, the different factors come into play. But there's always going to be a backup as well as the main plan. Did you ever have like a totally wasted trip where you came back and you go like, oh, yeah. nothing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was your worst trip? I think Bulgaria was the biggest one. Like I, I went to Bulgaria and I wanted to shoot Sofia and the mountains to the east. I can't remember now. The, the mountains near Sofia. And um, I got there and the place was dirty and it was like not very welcoming. There were wild, I say wild, stray dogs everywhere. I was reading articles about stray dogs attacking people. And I came back with nothing. I, I was like, well, the, the main plan didn't work. I can't remember exactly why, but the main plan didn't work. And the backup plan was shoot the city at night. The backup plan didn't work either. The city was just disgusting. It was a complete failure. But I ticked Bulgaria off my list. <laughs> so that, was the, that was the only success for that trip. Yeah. It's 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 um it's quite often that things don't come out right or it doesn't work. So like you pitch up for a sunrise, let's say it's quite common for me to get up at two three in the morning and drive a couple of hours to get to somewhere for sunrise, and then I'll get there and it's overcast and there's no color in the sky and it's just the way it goes. It's um it's annoying. You watch my Instagram story, you'll see it happen quite often. But it's just it's just something you've got to deal with. You've got to put up with it, overcome it. Like the rejection letters, the rejection emails, you've just got to deal with it, get past it, try again another time. So, um, yeah, key point, have a plan, have a backup plan. And then if it goes wrong, doesn't matter because you've got the, the rest of the plan to push through. And I bet all those times where you, you've got up and that, you know, it's been raining or whatever it might be and the conditions aren't there, that goes into every single one of your future plans to potentially yeah. potentially yeah. mitigate that risk a little bit more every time. Yeah, exactly. Or, or to have a more comprehensive second or backup plan mm, mm. Um, as a result of that. There's, there's things like, I recently, um, when was it, last month I was in, north of Norway in uh, the Lofoten Islands and there's one shot that I've been wanting to get for about four years and I finally got it on this trip because every other time had gone wrong the conditions hadn't been right it's a photo of Hamnoy with Hamnoy mountain in the background there's a little fishing village on the rocks with the sea a big dome-shaped mountain with the northern lights behind it and um, every other time I've been there the conditions have been wrong and I finally got it last month after four years of trying. So, yeah, I mean, that was trip after trip after trip where that was the, the plan was to get that picture, but I couldn't. The conditions weren't right. It was too cloudy. There wasn't any northern lights, whatever it was at each time. So there was the backups all along the way of going to the other villages or climbing this mountain or going to this beach and getting this shot to, to make the trip worth it without coming back with that, call it the money shot until seven eight trips later how just how did that feel when you finally got that shot it was pretty good i was dancing and singing <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was weird because um i've i've got a massive passion for the northern lights i will literally as i say i'll be dancing and singing and i'll lose my mind <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy and i thought i was the only person that did that and so it was during lockdown 
not during lockdown, during the pandemic, um, that I was there last month, and I met this guy called Odpeter, who is uh, a Lofoten photo guide. He's got his own company, taking tourists around in his um, minibus, showing them wildlife and mountains and taking photos. <clears throat> and he had no clients for ages and ages and ages because of the pandemic. So he was just out on his own taking photos of the Northern Lights. And I, I was at Hamnoy on the bridge where everyone takes the, the iconic photo. Um, and I was there on my own. I thought, this is crazy. That this place is always packed with photographers. Everyone wants to try and get this picture. And I was the only one there. And then he just walks up the bridge. I was like, ah, so I'm not the only one there. And it, it turns out we're having the best time together. And uh, <laughs> for this this really cool light show of the Northern Lights that night. We drove around together, taking all these photos, ticking all these photos off that we wanted to get because it was such a good show and there was nobody there. Literally me and him and that was it. We didn't see anyone else. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good feeling. It was a really good feeling. I'll, um, I'll send you the picture because then you can... <laughs> of course, you've, you've, uh, you've written a book about the, um, about the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the complete oral regard for travellers and photographers. So it's um, it's come out from two angles, whereby if you want to know how to take photos of it, it, it's in the book, how to take photos of it. If you want to just see them, that's also in there. And it gives you, it's divided into four sections, which are the stories behind it, which are broken down in, by country. So there's all these, uh, there's the folklore and all these stories of myth and legend about what causes it, like the Finns believe it's the, Firefox, which is the Arctic fox that dances across the sky, and the, his big bushy tail hits the snow off the top of the mountains and creates sparks in the sky. Um, whereas the, uh, I think it's the Inuits of Labrador, I think, um, they believe it's walruses playing some kind of ball game with somebody's skull. So there's, there's all these stories. Um, <laughs> but then it goes on to explain how to what what actually causes the Northern Lights because if you if you know what causes them, you can better find them, but you don't have to know all the detail. If you do, the detail's all there. Then it tells you how to find them, and then it tells you how to take the photos. It's pretty comprehensive. It's not, it's not a huge book because it's quite a niche subject, and there's not a great deal of information to go over, but what information there is is very valuable if you want to find the Northern Lights. Hmm. How often do you travel to, um, to photograph the Northern Lights? At the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what <laughs> 2019 style. <laughs> I'd, I'd be, throughout winter, I'd probably make two trips a month to somewhere cold. Oh, really? Okay. As I say, the, the cold is my specialty. Um, but I was in July, in Iceland in July. I was in Switzerland in February. I was in Norway last month and the month before. That's, oh, and I was in Italy in April. That's it. That's my 2020. And that, as I say, it would be two trips a month, and that's five for the year. So, yeah, I mean, the answer is twice a month, roughly. (laughs) (laughs) Every every opportunity I get, I'll, I'll take, because every time it's different and, I can always come up with a spin or a story or just add to the collection, add to the stock library, whatever it may be, as much as I possibly can. As I say, the reason I do it isn't because of photography. It's because I love it, because I love to travel and see the world and experience new things. And, uh, uh, yeah, 
as I say before, it's yeah, it's the mental health thing comes back into it again. Like uh, five trips versus I don't know twenty four. It's it's a massive contrast. But yeah, hopefully this Friday, as I said, keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things um, you know, somebody who uh, who might be like a, a sort of a budding. Uh, you know, travel photographer might want to know is like, how do you finance trips like that? Is it, um, do you have like a sponsor or uh, is it like, do you have a, like a client who will, who will pay for the trip or how do you normally, how do you typically um, finance it's travel? It's all different. Every, it's, it's the most common thing is just me planning a trip by looking at what is on trend, what's going to sell because then I've got the guarantee of the sales for stock photography after. And then based on that, I'll reach out to companies that operate certain activities or events or things like hotels, um, see if they want to work together. Um, it could even be travel companies themselves, airlines, for example. Um, so it'll be self-funded and then the money comes in afterwards based on all the planning and the work that goes into that. So there's there's that but then each trip could be different so this this next trip is just completely paid someone else is paying to send me there to um make some content so it, it varies it really varies but the, the most common is working out what is missing from the market what people want photos of what's in the magazines what's on the websites what's a hot destination or a hot you know activity and then planning the trip, getting those photos and selling them retrospectively. That's the biggest thing. How do the trips for clients versus those trips you initially take on your on, on your own, so to speak, how, how do they differ? So I'm guessing you'll, you'll have a brief from the client as to the type of content that they're looking for. But I'm going to guess that some of that content may not be the content you'd, you may want to make while you're out there. Yeah. So how, how do you find that they, the, those trips differ? Um, when that happens, you have to, this is not something photographers want to hear, um, but you have to have the gusto to say no sometimes, to say, no, this is, if you want me, this is the kind of photo you're going to get. Um, this is my style. This is what I can do. And and that's why it's important um, to market yourself properly on your website or on your um, Instagram or, you know, whichever portfolio you're using to showcase yourself it's got to be an accurate reflection of what you can do as a photographer it can't just be this one incredible shot i took one time that i can't replicate again it has to be a, a true representation of of yourself and your style as a photographer because then your client knows what they're going to get and if somebody picks you because i don't know let's say they they pick you but they don't know what you do well that's that's kind of counterintuitive and shouldn't really be happening in the first place if they do pick you and they say this is what i want but this is what you actually shoot then they're not the right client it's not the right fit and you shouldn't take that job does that answer the question or yeah, is that does. way off no no yeah, that's yeah. um <clears throat> you have to you have to be able you have to be brave enough to say no that's not my style that's not what i do it's it's very very easy for to fall into that trap of always saying yes to work because you want the work right and and I guess in the early days in particular you may need to do that to to make ends meet you know at the end of the day paying yeah. the bills has got to be number number one but as you start yeah. 
you know, making yourself regular work, you've got to, like you say, you've got to know when to say, no, that's not work that's going to, a fulfill me yeah i'm probably not going to yeah. do a good job for you because it's not really what you're after and you're just doing both for yourselves a disservice i guess yeah yeah so and and unfortunately it will quite often end up with someone being unhappy and it will usually be them unhappy with what you've delivered which means they might not want to pay you or whatever it might be so yeah you um it's a mistake to take on something that isn't a reflection of of your style or a reflection of your work as a photographer. It's, it's, it's never a good idea to do that. You won't deliver what they're expecting. They're asking the wrong thing of you from doing it in the first place. Is there a place you haven't been to that you always wanted to go to? Uh, Lake Baikal. That, that was a pretty quick answer, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> quite specific. <laughs> Lake Baikal, um, B-A-I-K-A-L, if you want to Google it. It's in Siberia, and it's the deepest freshwater. Does it need the word freshwater? It's the deepest lake in the world. Um, but it's iconic of, like Lake, uh, like Abraham Lake in Canada, with the ice bubbles and the cracks and all that. It's, it's that kind of a lake. But the bubbles are just that much bigger, and they get ice caves around the edges because of the... Um, climate and it's just a really awesome looking place so that's that's way up on the list but getting there is two or three flights and a visa away and russia don't do a cost effective visa you have to pay quite a lot of money to go to russia i think it's about 120 pounds roughly seems a lot of money just to go somewhere just to pay the government to let you in <laughs> So yeah, Lake Baikal, that's top of the list. <clears throat> And that's ignoring the uh, extreme answers like the South Pole, the North Pole, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> have, you ever, have you ever considered uh, any hot climates, <laughs> like deserts? Oh, yeah, I do. I do go to these places. It's um, They're just not the focus of, of what I do. But you'll find Morocco and Brazil and... Greece, Turkey, you'll find these places in amongst my photos. They're just, no, they're just, they're not really what I'm known for. So yeah, I do go there. I just sweat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not made with, for it. How do you deal with the cold? Like generally, like when you go to places like nowhere or something? Well, certain people just prefer certain climates. I prefer the cold. So there's that answer. But then there's like... I, <laughs> I find it a lot easier to regulate my temperature with layering and clothing and things like that. The cold doesn't bother me. Being too cold doesn't bother me as much as being too hot. Um, so it's just a personal preference. But then the other thing is I'm far happier in the snow than I am in the sun. I don't know why. I can't really explain it. But there's something, maybe it's like a little kid inside me that likes the snow and likes the mountains and you know, snowflakes and It's just, it's the thing that makes me happy. I can't deal with being too hot. I just can't stand it. <laughs> you know, you know, the first time I ever went up a mountain, I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd rather be. They say that def deathly silence and whatnot, that's exactly what it was. It was the most comforting situation yeah. I've ever experienced. Loved it. I get it. I get it. Oh, I'm right. I'm, I did, I'm, uh, I'm booking a new trip. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I did a, a hike up um, a fjord to what's it called? Kierig Bolton. Kierig Bolton is a a Bolton is a rock. Kierig, I don't know. I, um, so it's in Norway, and it's a uh, there's this fjord, and the top of it has got this groove at this one point with a boulder sitting wedged in the middle. You, it's the kind of place you would have seen it, but you won't necessarily know that it's Kiara Bolton, but you'll recognise pictures of it. People standing on this boulder, and it's about maybe 4,000 feet from the where the boulder is to the water and the fjord below. And that hike, I left at 2am in order to get to it for sunrise, and then hiked back. And that whole entire way there and back, I saw one other person. It was that. That's that's the thing. That's the thing that makes me happy. Like like with the um, like I was saying about the Northern Lights just now on the bridge. Being in in the Arctic, remote, cut off, alone, I'd be quite happy if my phone didn't work. Um, you know, those. That's the that's part of the the thing that makes me happy about it. So yeah. Whereas, as I say, the the opposite end of it. If I'm sitting somewhere in in the heat. Particularly if it's humid, I just can't deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I just stop working. Everything shuts down. Yeah, I mean, this, 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 definitely something about, about mountains. In the cold, everything wakes up. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's also something about, uh, there's just something about just being surrounded by mountains. It is, it's a very, uh, it's a different feeling. Um, I think, you know, yeah. it's um, certainly, I remember like the last time, you know, we flew, uh, we flew into the uh, Canadian Rockies. We, you know, we landed in Calgary at about midnight and then mm -hmm. it's another hour and a half or something driving up to Canmore and, you know, it's pitch black and we didn't like, you know, we arrived and it was, we didn't see anything cause it was, it was totally dark. Um, and I remember like waking up, you know, and getting out of bed and like opening, opening the blinds and I looking outside and it's like, one massive huge mountain. I turn around and the other side. That was another huge. It's just incredible. And it's it's just incredible driving through there. Um, it's incredible going on hikes. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like soaking in the atmosphere. There. It's really very very special. And you know, it's, it's one of these things where um, you know my wife was born there, uh, and but she's lived in the UK for a long long time. Um, you know, and uh, and I think we both had this sort of sense of home. You know, it's just a really weird kind of feeling. It's like, uh, you know, I I I, com I completely get that. It, it, when I'm, particularly in Iceland, I feel like I'm home. I have no, I have no connection to it. I did a DNA test to figure out if I was Viking. I'm not Viking. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just feel this connection to these places. It's the tranquility and it's the connection to nature as well. Um, that you were saying about just now, it, yeah, it's it's just something that's in some people. Some people just prefer it that way. Some people prefer the beach. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you know, and it's this. I mean, I you know, I I love personally. You know, I, I love deserts and everything. I've trekked through deserts. Uh, I, I trekked through the Sahara Desert with my mom when I was like fourteen or something like that. Um, and there's something, there's something very special about, you know, being on your own in the middle of a desert, in a sand desert in particular, and, uh, things sound different. You have different sensations, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's equally special, but, um, it doesn't feel like home. This is the one thing that's, that's really struck me when, uh, you know, we ended up in the, in the Canadian Rockies. Um, it did, it have that sense of home, um, you know, um, and, 
I think, you know, I realized back then that I could oh, quite happily sit on the top of a mountain on my own. <laughs> no problem, you know. Cross-legged on a ledge with an acoustic. Oh, naked, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but, you know, it's uh, it's definitely it's such a special place. Um, yeah. You know, so, so, yeah. I understand. Cool. So what's the... Um, so what's... The, What's your plan for the future? Like, what's your plan for 2021? If things as soon as everything, as soon as everything opens up again, see you later. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be, I'll be, um, I'll be trying to find new things to put on the list. At the moment, the list is, uh, is growing slowly because I don't want to, I don't know, upset myself looking at things I want to do that I'm not able to, but there are plenty of things sort of tucked in the back of my mind. Greenland's pretty high up on the list at the moment to um, Alulisat and King Alusuak because of the glaciers and the, the ranges that they've got there. There's a lot of opportunity for awesome ice photography. Um, there's a couple of things that I need to do in Iceland. Um, I've got a couple of people in Iceland waiting for me as well that, I was supposed to visit for coffees and to go up mountains with, but that's just been on hold for a while. In fact, uh, one of them uh, is a, a guy, Alex, who's uh, he's in the Icelandic search and rescue, I think, but he does a lot of um, driving jobs in Iceland. And I met him while I was shooting uh, Arctic foxes in the Westfjords. Um, we just started talking one day. And ever since then, we've just been talking about doing something together in Iceland because he's massively into nature as well. And he wanted to take me to, uh, I can't remember the name, he wanted to take me to the top of a, a glacier um, for the past year or so. So that's going to happen. Because <laughs> at the moment, there's just there's just nothing going on. Um, the Canada trip needs to happen early November, the one that didn't happen this year. Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of little things, but it, it all depends on when everything starts again and what what the world looks like when it starts again. Are the flight prices going to be similar? Are they going to be wildly different one way or the other? Same with accommodation, same with rental cars. Is the availability going to be there? Because obviously a lot of companies have stopped or sold things or just ceased to exist, unfortunately. So yeah, um, it, a lot of it depends on on what the world looks like next year which i have no idea we'll see well fingers crossed um we get back to some mm. sense of normality at least yeah we need something back to normal would you have any advice for for anybody in the uk uh especially um can you uh can you recommend any any particularly awesome locations in the uk for photography um in terms of specifics I think it's better, rather than giving specifics, it's easier to say there's a lot on the coast and everyone's not very far from the coast. Water is always a good subject. It's good for um, developing your style of photography. It's good for practice with longer and shorter exposures and things like that. And it tends to be pretty dark near the coast. Not always, but it tends to be. There's lots of um, cool, quirky things like cliffs, lighthouses, boats, whatever it may be. There's a lot there. So there's finding what's near you on the coastline near you that's a good thing and then if you're able to get to somewhere like waterfalls like in south wales there's loads of waterfalls um 
or to national parks or mountains if you can do it and even better still if you can get up to scotland and go to the cairngorms or the highlands the isle of sky there's so many subjects up there if you want to shoot wildlife or landscapes or even just like quirky cool buildings and things like that um just just explore what's near you and what's within reach is it a motorway trip away is it affordable or is it your style of photography and further to that there's loads of resources out there to help you find these places like instagram or 500px or Flickr, or there's this cool website called location scout which shows you exactly like people upload photos to location scout and it gives you the coordinates where the photo was taken and they put a little blurb about what time of day it was taken or what time of year or how to get to it or whatever it may be um which is worldwide but it, it's so it, it's equally applicable in the uk um just get out and have a look around oh man fantastic i think it's the hmm. fourth time scotland's come Why? up as uh, somewhere we need to go <laughs> scotland's yeah. incredible it really is um I, I wish i'd started going there years ago but it started it, uh, it turned out that i was just up there three years ago which is way too late really i could have been exploring it for a long time and i was up there just looking for hairy highland cows hairy highland cows and yeah i was like oh actually screw the cows this is all these mountains and yeah, coastlines yeah. and jagged rocks and cool things <laughs> i've i've never been to scotland and i'm 30 i'm in 30s and <laughs> never never been not once can you believe that that's sad just isn't it do it do it just drive drive up to sky it only takes a couple of days day to get there a couple of days to explore a day to get back trust me do it fly to inverness right fly to inverness rent a car drive out of the airport you're on the edge of loch ness explore the castles and then go s- uh, north south south and you're in the cairngorms in cairngorm national park you've got the, the highland wildlife park which has got loads of cool animals if you want to take some wildlife photos and make it look like they're not in a zoo that's a thing um and then it's got the mountain range, it's got the cows, it's got the architecture, it's got the foggy mornings. And then you've got, you know, deep fried Mars bars as well. So best of everything. Winner. <laughs> Winner. And we don't even have to create an itinerary now. Exactly. It's just been done for us. <laughs> I just told you what to do. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. We should, we should do like a camera shake podcast meetup. Oh, yeah. In Scotland or something. Do Sky. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, have any, we have listeners in Scotland as well. Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Wicked. All right, I'll come. Oh, perfect. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, man, it's it was such a pleasure talking to you, man. It was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming Likewise. on the podcast. You're welcome. And, um, you know, what can I say? You know, wish you the best of luck, really, for, for 2021. Um, Thank you very much. And yourselves. Hopefully, it's sooner than 2021. Hopefully, it's Friday when the flight is meant to be to Iceland. But we'll see. Hopefully this one's not going to be postponed or cancelled like the others. <laughs> well, we'll be well, hoping for you. Virus. You know, seeing seeing like seeing that you're literally just around the corner from us. You know, if you do find yourself stranded over here, just uh, give us a shout and we'll we'll um, hang out for a beer or something. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, and there's lots of cool places down by the river. Oh yeah, that's yeah. very true. Very true. Actually, it is very true. Cool. <laughs> right. Nice. David Williams, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, 
Thanks for having me. It's been it great. A pleasure. And with that, we have come to the end of episode 32 of the Camera Shake podcast. As always, we're going to be back uh, next Thursday. Um, don't forget to um, subscribe if you're well, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, then you could scroll all the way down and leave us a little review or a little star rating. That'd be super nice. It would help the show out. It'd be phenomenal. Um, but having said that, without further ado, we'll see you next Thursday. See you.